Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. We're back after a week off, all refreshed and ready to kick some goals in our 10th ever episode. Bill, how are you? Yeah, not too great, Liam. Um, fortunately, in the last two weeks, the Lions have dropped two games in the AFLW and it doesn't look like we're going to make the finals now. Yeah, it's been a topsy-turvy couple of rounds where we saw, as you said, the Lions, who almost had the top two berths sewed up, they lost to the Ds and then next week lost to the Pies, which was a pretty surprising loss there. Yeah, so first one, the Demons, not, not too much of a surprise. Daisy Pierce putting on a bit of a show, kicking a few goals in the first quarter and pretty much sealing the game off there. But as you said, the uh, Pies game, a pretty disappointing loss. Yeah, Brisbane, we've talked about their defence um, earlier podcast this year, saying how good it was. And in that game against the Pies, we had both Bernardi and Mo Hope both kick three goals apiece, which is something we don't often see from the girls. Yeah, quite rare um, as a defensive effort, letting a few goals in there. And in both games, letting in early goals. So both games um, let the opposition get in a few goals early and then play and catch up the rest of the game, weren't able to get over the line. For some of the other teams, we saw GWS get good wins over Fremantle and then again the next week got another win over the Dogs, which was huge, and they find themselves in a position to maybe play in the grand final, which surprised a lot of people considering where everyone thought they'd finish at the start of the year. Once again, I think they were tipped for the wooden spoon. Yeah, well, I think you're right there, wooden spoon favourites, and now are playing us actually in the last round with a, the winner still a chance at making that final spot. Gum and Staunton, the two players for them that they brought in in that off-season, they've both been fantastic. Two older players who have a lot of experience, and especially on the weekend, they were super important and just been really impressive all year, I thought. Yeah, two very important players for them there. And one factor that could actually come into play now and, and act, is going to act as something very important for their season is the draw they had a couple of weeks ago now with uh, Adelaide. Yeah, it's quite funny at the time we talked about how the draw had no place in the women's game and it was so bad for both Adelaide and GWS, but... Turns out it was a little worse for the Bulldogs in Melbourne. So currently on the ladder, we have the Dogs and the Ds uh, tied up at 16 points uh, on top of the ladder. And then we have GWS and Adelaide on 14. So if either of GWS or Adelaide win this week, it pushes the loser out of that Ds-Dogs game out of that grand final. So it turns out that 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 draw has a really important place now. Another one that we rode off Adelaide, now they're still a shot. Yeah, we, we wrote Adelaide off probably, it looks like, a bit prematurely. They've gone and put two wins on the board, two very impressive wins, and uh, put themselves back in flag contention. Yeah, two very good wins for them over the last two weeks. The first came uh, without one of their stars, Aaron Phillips, who limped off uh, with a quad injury once again early in the game, but they managed to steal the win. And most recently, she kicked three goals in that um, that win over the Dockers. So whether she's fit and firing for this last game in the grand final might determine whether the Crows are a good shot at getting back to the grand final, going back-to-back back perhaps. Um, she's still probably the, the key to what happens this year. So as we've sort of touched on, moving into that last round, the winner of the Dogs-Demons game will play in the grand final, guaranteed. Uh, the second position in that grand final is up for grabs. There's a few teams who could take that. There's the loser of the Dogs versus Demons game, could still potentially make that final spot. And then three other teams competing, GWS, the Crows, and the Lions still a slim chance. One thing that we sort of didn't mention enough is in that D's Lions game, that was me getting a tip back on you in the tip, so down to one one down uh, rather than two, and we put in the same tips uh, last week, so there was no change there. So I'm one down with one round, and then the grand final to go. Um, still a chance to get you by the end of the season. Yeah, you know, like I figured because we're doing it on the podcast like obviously I didn't want people to understand that I was just going to win too early so let you get that one back and then I'll obviously enjoy beating you this weekend as we've already mentioned we've got some really important games this weekend that are that will be really exciting to watch the first one we've got is the Giants playing the Lions over at Blacktown yeah so I've gone with the Lions on this tip uh 
And I do think we're going to get the win here. Um, the girls will be revved up after two disappointing performances. I think they're going to come out, start strong, and control this game from the get-go. I'm actually going to go against you and go for GWS just for the fact that I think GWS think that they're playing for a grand final berth and the odds of the, the Lions playing in the grand final is quite slim. So I think that the motivation factor for GWS might be a bit bigger and playing at home, I hope that they come out and get me that extra tip back. Next up, we've got Frio hosting the Blues over in Perth. Uh, for this tip, I've gone with Frio. I just think they're looking a bit more competitive than the Blues at this point. And sadly for the Blues, I think they're going to get the spoon. Looks that way, and um, I'm going to go with you. Go Fremantle as well. Interesting stat I want to bring up is uh, Carlton's score lines this year. They started off with uh, 30 in the first uh, week or two, and then they've scored 22, 18, 13, 20, and 22, especially struggling after Bree Davey went down to get the ball forward from centre, and um, they really just haven't been able to put a winning score on the board, so I can't tip them this week. Yeah, it's a very disappointing uh, stat that you mentioned there, especially from a team that's featuring... Not only last year's leading goal kicker Darcy Besco, but also added Taylor Harris in the offseason. We didn't really think that scoring was going to be a problem for the Blues this year. Added on to this, I just want to mention the um, the impressive season that Sabrina Frederick 12 has put together. Everyone sort of thought that Taylor Harris was the better of the two forwards up in Brisbane, but the performances they both showed this year, uh, it's, it's sort of really seesawed, and Frederick Traub is really the standout at the moment. Next up, we've got two teams playing for for a spot in the grand final. That's the Dogs versus the Demons. I think this is going to be a very tight contest, uh, potentially a grand final preview. And I've gone with the Demons. I think Daisy Pierce in the midfield there is going to get them over the line. Yeah, this is going to be a ripping game, one that everyone should tune into for sure. It's probably the two best teams that we've seen in the home and away season so far um, going against each other. I'm going to have to go for the Dogs at Witten Oval. Um, as you mentioned, Daisy Pierce is going to be going head-to-head with one of the other sort of players going for that Brownlow equivalent medal at the end of the year, Emma Kearney, and I just think that the sort of season she's put together, she'll be the sort of player that really steps up in this game and drags her team over the line. And the final game of the round is the Crows taking on the Pies at Olympic Park. Um, Who do you have for this one? I've gone with the Crows. I just think they're looking in pretty good form, as we mentioned. We wrote them off a couple of weeks ago, but they've responded quite strongly with two straight wins, and Erin Phillips back playing and kicking quite a few goals. I think she's going to get them over the line in this one. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think that midfield with Randall and Marinoff will be getting the ball out of the centre off too often for the uh, Collingwood midfield. And yeah, I see Adelaide winning that game. Yeah, pretty happy you just mentioned uh, Chelsea Randall there, Liam, because I had a quick look at the Coaches, Coaches Association Award and it looks like there's five players who are still in the running to win that with the one round left. And the clear leader at the moment is Chelsea Randall. She's on 35 votes uh five ahead of ali blackburn on 30 kate luckins on 29 emma kearney and daisy pierce trailing on 28 so those five players are the only ones that can realistically finish with enough votes to win that award yeah good really good group of players there and some of some we would have expected to be there at the start of the year and others have sort of jumped up into that contention for the best players of the league a couple of surprising players i want to mention there are those crows players who without aaron phillips really stood up and probably surprised a few people yeah, absolutely. So the captain, Chelsea Randall, has really uh, stepped up with the absence of Erin Phillips and she's put herself in a good position to win this award. Um, if she polls six or more votes in the final round, the award is hers. No one can catch her. So that's the coaches' awards for the uh, MVP of the season. Uh, what about the uh, Coleman equivalent, the leading goal kicker? Um, who's leading that one? Yes, unsurprisingly, it's Brooke Lachlan off the back of that seven-goal performance. She's now sitting on 11 goals. Um, three off the total that Darcy Vesico managed to win with last year. She kicked 14. Um, looks at this stage that she'll probably get the nod there. She's two goals ahead of Tegan Cunningham. 
uh, who's got nine. And then following her, Jess Wishner has got eight. And a few players are on seven goals. Mo Hope, Aaron Phillips, McWilliams, and Bernardi. Really interesting to see Mo Hope in the top end of that list after a start of the year. I think she's kicked two goals, two goals, three goals or something in the last three matches, and um, it's good to see her back on fire. Moving on from the AFLW now, we'll take a quick look at some of the JLT results. Liam, what teams did you uh, think performed well across the JLT series? Well, there's seemed to be no hangover for the Tigers. They finished on top of the JLT ladder equivalent. Um, they came away with two big wins, so their percentage put them on top of that ladder. And it's interesting where people thought they might have partied a bit and gotten a bit ahead of themselves. They've come out in these two practice matches and put teams to the sword. So anyone who thinks that they're going to drop maybe out of the eight this year, I really can't see it. They were performing really well, and they had a lot of players uh, stand up in these matches couple of other teams that had a few wins Carlton probably surprised a few with some wins um sorry Carlton fans I don't think that's going to be too much of a sign of things to come um but they put out some really good performances and their young players especially in defense really stood up for them so I think there are a couple of teams that ended up with the two wins and were looking pretty good one of the important things that people watch the JLT for is obviously trying to pick players into their super coach team so there were a few standouts on that regard yeah, plenty of good standouts. So just to go through a couple of uh, players who maybe are on the sort of middle price for your midfield, I saw in the first few games, the Carlton games, Paddy Cripps was pretty impressive, both kicking Coles up forward and in the midfield. It looks like when he's not in the middle, he'll be played sort of even one out from the goal square to get some odd matchups and kick some goals. And another one that I want to sort of highlight for probably even more so the 2019 season is GWS was running Lockie Whitfield off the halfback using his pace and elite skills, and he scored some huge 140 supercoach scores in those JLT games. So if we see that sort of happening this year, they don't have the Williams and Wilsons to run off the halfback. He might be a defense status in 2019 for supercoach, so I really think that's one to look out for. A few top performers that uh, put up some big numbers and maybe get a run in a few people's supercoach teams. Uh, across two games, Lockie Neal averaged 125. Tom Mitchell, 118. You just mentioned Lucky Whitfield. He averaged 111 over two games. Luke Parker, 110. And a few others putting up high 90s scores. Josh Caddy, 98.5. Aaron Hall, 98.5. And your boy, Shane Savage, 96 across the two games. Savage. I'm sort of disappointed that he's put out these performances in these two JLT games because, as you know, I've been all over him for a few years now and it looks like this is probably his breakout year and I could have been the only one in Supercoach to pick him and now he's probably in about 10% of teams. Um, I think it was 7 or 8% last time I looked, so it's a bit disappointing on that regard, but it's good to see him playing so well. Yeah, absolutely. He's played his uh, way into my defensive lineup in my Supercoach team and definitely up the draft lifts as well, so... Yeah, someone taken him quite early there, I believe. Yeah, about 470k, I think, in the defense for anyone who's playing the super coach. So not in that top line of 550 defenders, but um, he certainly might end up there by season's end. So a couple of Brisbane boys I want to ask you about. The first one being Stefan Martin in the ruck. Ruck's a bit of a an odd sort of position this year. Everyone's locked in Gorn and the second place is up for grabs. But a lot of the players like Goldstein and um, Steph Martin might have this second Ruckman playing with them. Do you think that he might be going solo this year? Yeah, so generally the Lions setup has been to play one solo Ruck, and I think that'll continue this year. Stefan Martin will obviously get that gig to start off with, and Josh Walker playing up forward as the backup Ruck. Um, the Lions have a few young Ruck prospects uh, playing in the NEFL at the moment, Archie Smith, and he's been joined in recent years by Oscar McInerney, who was very impressive last season. So 
one of the those two could or both of those two could push for games at some point, but expect Stefan Martin to rock most of the years solo ruckman. There's a couple of cheap forwards in Brisbane's um, lineup as well in terms of the super coach. We've got Alan Christensen, low two hundreds, and Tom Bell as about a two eighty K forward. How do you rate those two players as likely to increase on their on their price this year? Yeah, so Tom Bell really impressed in some of the JLT games played as an inside midfielder. Um, he's got obviously a bit of a reputation for not being the best uh, disposer of the ball, but he looked pretty clean in that regard and getting with quite a few contested possessions could see him score quite well. Um, Aaron Christensen, probably going to work into the season a bit more. Had a few injury issues and I, I believe he'll probably be a bit more of a slow starter starting up forward and not really getting those midfield minutes that we tend to see translate to high supercoach scores. We also saw a few players that came over from new clubs that sort of had very impressive matches. The first one was Jack Watts, who kicked six goals in that last game against the Crows. In that same game, we saw uh, Gibson, who came from North Melbourne to the Crows, get 27 touches and a goal. Uh, Do you think Gibson has a place in this Adelaide team who's probably going to be back towards the top of the ladder? Yeah, very hard to pick uh, who's going to make that Adelaide best 22. It's obviously a very deep lineup to get into. I'm, I'm not really expecting to see Sam Gibson in there round one, although... Although, obviously, no inside knowledge about the Adelaide Football Club's uh, decision-making in that process. Um, but, yeah, personally, I'd be surprised to see Sam Gibson in that round one lineup. A lot of what we use the JLT for is to uh, have a look at all those rookies and younger players coming through. We'll maybe list off a few that sort of impressed us for both Supercoach and for particular teams, people wanting to see the new bloods coming through. Um, one that I want to mention is uh, Holman from Gold Coast, who who is a very bargain basement price in the midfield, 102,000, who who put together some good performances, a lot of tackles, which get you the points, and he looks like he'll be lining up in my midfield for sure. Yeah, Gold Coast, very interesting team to see who's going to be playing there. Obviously, with the new coach Stewie Jew, um, you know, no, not picking favourites anymore, and probably all the positions in that 22 are up for grabs. So, very interesting to see if Holman gets the round one call up. If we're talking about impressive performances, I think he only notched up one game, but Sam Murray for Collingwood in the back line um, really locked himself in up probably most people's teams. I think he I think he scored a century. Yeah, I think he scored just over, about 102 or so. He was the surprising rookie that we saw in that uh, trade period. We talked about it at the, at the time in our podcast about the trade period where uh, Collingwood got him for what turned out to be a second-round um, swap there was other picks in there, but they gave away a second rounder for this rookie off Sydney's list, and they were all about him coming out of the defensive line, and um, he's performed in that first game, which was really impressive. Yeah, they've obviously singled him out, seen something that they liked, and obviously got him onto the list, and looks like he's uh, ready to go round one. We also saw an interesting duel out of some of the top draft picks there. Lots of people had LDU from North in their team, but everyone seems to be swapping him out for Andy Brayshaw over at Freo, who really spent the whole time as an inside midfielder and was notching up 90 scores and looks like the best cash cow out there at the moment. Yeah, Andy Brayshaw looks like he's ready to come out of Route 1 and start putting up good scores on the board, absolutely. Um, very impressive young man and looks like he's going to slot straight into the AFL system. I want to get your take on the performance of uh, three of the big men, big fours that we saw over the weekend. We saw um, Lance Franklin, first of all, kick a few kick a few really good goals against Brisbane, your boys, in that match. We also saw um, uh, Cameron from GWS kick 3-3 in his match, and we also saw Hogan put three goals on the board, and I think he's one of the forgotten men when we're talking about the Coleman race and the leading goal kickers because of the up-and-down year he had last year, but they were three really good key forward performances. Yeah, as you mentioned, Lance Franklin did very good against uh, <coughs> against the Lions and against Harris Andrews. It's a pretty tough matchup for anyone. Uh, and Lance looked good across both JLT games, so 
he looks like he's in good form, and that's good news for Sydney. Obviously mentioned uh, two others there. Jesse Hogan's a bit of a wild card. Um, very hard to tell how he'll go, but he should be definitely up there in the goal-kicking stakes. Jeremy Cameron could be a surprise inclusion in a few Supercoach teams. He's known to put up quite a consistent score for a key forward and obviously has those weeks where he'll kick six goals and that big 150 score can always help your team line up some weekends. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other players that we definitely get in there for the big scores in Supercoach, probably the number one player in the league for the last couple of years, is uh, Patrick Dangerfield, who on the weekend came out first quarter, 12 touches, 44 Supercoach points, outstanding, and then goes off with a hammy, and now we hear he might not play round one. Bit of a worry for a few coaches there, no doubt, and probably people looking at a few options to replace him with... uh... One player people could turn to is Tom Mitchell. As we mentioned before, he put up 118 average across two games. I think he's the third highest midfielder in Supercoach at this stage. Yep, behind uh, Dusty and Danger. But um, I think that was a really good pick by you there. I can see Tom Mitchell potentially not scoring under 110 this year. He's just an outstanding player and so consistent. He'll get 30 touches every week, we all know that. But he's turning other parts of his games on. He's getting forward, he's doing tackles and um, all the little things that get you the few points. And he's as safe as houses when it comes to players going to score above 100 every week. A few other players bobbed up as potential danger field replacements. So if you're so inclined, uh, it was only one game, but Adam Trelaw managed to knock up a very impressive 133 supercoach points. And Dane Zorko, again, played only the one game, but managed to knock up an impressive 123. Yeah, Trelaw went head-to-head in that match against Montempelli, who's another one people could look at, who looked like he'll be kicking a couple of goals every game by the way he played. But um, Lockie Neal was the one for me that stood up in that weekend game with 36 touches and three goals. He was super impressive. It's whether you want to fit him in alongside a Fife and probably a Brayshaw in that same midfield. Probably looks a bit awkward with the amount of Fremantle boys. Banfield's another cheap rookie in that midfield who is a Frio boy who people are looking at. But, um, wow, he's a point of difference player and he can score those big 160 sort of scores for you, which is amazing when you've got the double point captain option. All right, we'll switch now to predicting some of the real stuff for the 2018 season. Each year, the bookies release an overs and unders list where they give a number of wins that they're predicting as the line, essentially, for where they think each team's going to perform this year. So, for example, uh, the line for the Gold Coast is 5.5 wins, so whether you expect them to get five or less wins or six or above. Um, we're going to go through now and have a look at some of the individual teams and see where we rate them and put ourselves on record for uh, see how good our predictive skills are going into 2018 season. Yeah, we'll have a few clips here that we'll play back to you at the end of the year, only the ones we get right and the ones we don't we'll we'll never speak of again. But um, we'll go through and we'll see which teams we differ on and which ones we sort of agree might look a bit better than um, what people think at the moment. Uh, As you mentioned, we'll start off with Gold Coast, which have them uh, five and a half wins. Um, Where do you see them this year? Um, I've got them as under, so I'm predicting them to get less than that. I'm expecting about three or four wins for the Gold Coast this year. Um, New coach, new system... um, no Gary Ablett, a bit of a shock to the system there perhaps. And yeah, I just really, I could see them getting over 5.5 wins, but I'm going with under. Yeah, I'm going to join you with the under on this one. I think that you've mentioned the no Ablett factor, but um, they're going to have such a hard start to the year not being able to play at Metricon for the first, I think it's six games. So if you have a new club, a new coach, you know, no new captain in that team and you might get off to a slow start, I could see them sort of trailing off early and um, yeah, not really getting above that five win mark. 
Next up, North Melbourne. The bookies have got them at 6.5 wins over or under. I can lock this one in for an under, I reckon. I've got them not winning four games this year. It's just sort of... They've lost too many players. They've lost Gibson and Mullet and Swallow and Thomas, all these older players, and they're still bottoming out. I don't see the rise up the ladder yet. Don't see the injection of players like LDU, as we mentioned, bursting onto the scene like people might think, and um, I see them at the bottom, towards the bottom couple in the ladder this year. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with most of that. I've, I've got them under, similar to Gold Coast. I'm expecting about four wins for North Melbourne this year. We'll move along to your team, Brisbane. Um, I'll let you have the first word on this. Yeah, so Brisbane, the bookies have got a 6.5 wins as the line, and that's pretty easy for me over, of course. You know, we'll, we'll double that pretty easily. <laughs> I found this one really tricky. The, the other two, I found them easy unders. Brizzy, I'm not really sure. A lot of the, uh, I think they had an article on AFL.com this week where the um, players in the league tipped who they thought was going to be on the rise, and Brisbane was one of those teams. I've got them under because I've, I've had them at six wins when I looked through the thing, but I could see them anywhere around this mark. I think it's a pretty even line. The thing that sort of got me over is that I rate Rockcliffe really highly, and as you mentioned in other podcasts, he was contested possession beast in the first half of the year and um brisbane finished um in league averages at the bottom um couple in contested possessions and tackles and that's his trademark so i just think there'll be some growing pains there at the start of the year which might let a couple go that you could maybe pick up uh, in other years yeah so i've got us i'm not I'm not really sure how many wins i've got us on but i think we're going to get above 6.5 um we had about i think we had five wins last season and now we've added a few players into the best 22 luke hodge Charlie Cameron, and returning from injury, Mitch Robinson, Alan Christensen. Um, obviously, a few young talents in Cam Rayner, to name one, and uh, continued development of some of the young kids. You mentioned the uh, the AFL survey the other day, and two of the players that were in the top five for who do you think is the most promising coming into the year season, Harris Andrews and Eric Kipwood at either end. Expecting improvement out of those two, and I think we'll get just enough to knock us over that 6.5 win mark. We'll move on to the next team now, which were one of the top of the JLT performers, Carlton, which the bookies have at 6.5 wins. Uh, where do you rate them this year? I've got Carlton tracking along pretty similar to Brisbane. I think they're going to get above the 6.5 wins, um, possibly not too much above that, but I do see them improving with a few key players, uh, similar to the Harris-Andrews-Eric Hipwood combo. They've got Charlie Kern out one end and Jacob Wiedering at the other, who look to be coming along quite nicely. Uh, bolstered up midfield, Matthew Kennedy will obviously help there, and yeah, I see them getting over 6.5 wins. I'm going to go against you. I'm going to go to the unders. I'm really cold on Carlton this year. I think that losing both Doherty and Gibbs, um, how often do you lose two top five best and fairest players out of the team in the same year, especially for a team at the bottom of the ladder? I think it's going to be a, a hard year for them. Um, one player that I think is sort of going against that is the performance of, as you mentioned, Wiedering, but March Bank over those two JLT games, I remember, in the trade period where he left GWS, I wanted him to come to the Saints so badly because he's just such an obvious talent and someone who's going to be a, a really great intercept player in the back line. And um, the way he was playing, maybe it will change my mind, but I've definitely got them um, solid unders here. Next up, moving over to Perth, and we've got Fremantle sitting on 8.5, over or under? I've got them under. I've got them sitting around 7. Um Fife is sort of making me question it. Having him back to his best, you know, he just wins games for them that you don't expect that they'll win. But um, uh, I just can't see it. Their forward line and back line is just a little too weak for me, especially with the key forward stocks. Um, yeah, I can't I can't lock them into a nine-win season. So Matthew Tabner addressing that key forward stocks a little bit in the JLT, put in two pretty impressive performances. But for me, not enough. And I've got them as an under those 8.5 wins as well. 
Next up, we've got My Mob St Kilda, which the bookies have at 9.5 wins, which is an atrocity because we're so far over that. Uh, I was pretty shocked to look in and see us below Collingwood and all these other teams in this, um, and I'd hammer the overs if I was a, a betting man on this one. I, I think it's a, a good bet to go up. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you, surprisingly enough. Uh, <laughs> I also was a bit shocked to see St Kilda at 9.5 wins below Collingwood and a few other names there, so... I think they're going to get over the 9.5, and I think they'll do it pretty easily as well. We won 11 <coughs> games last year, so they're tipping us to go back to wins, which you wouldn't want to see from a from a sort of list demographic that we have at the moment. Um, and, yeah, hopefully I'm hoping uh, Dixon uh, in the coaching staff this year can get us over the line with, you know, we had Billings kick 23 goals, 36, and 30 behinds from Gresham and all these players last year. If they can turn that around, I see a few more wins popping up from that 11. Next up, we've got the Pies on 10.5 wins. And as I just mentioned, I'm not really sure how the bookies have got them above your mob there, Liam. I think the thing is that Champion Data came out with their rankings of each each team's draw, and they had Collingwood is by far the easiest draw, I think, coming out, which I'm not sure how that works. But people think that they've got a really easy run and a lot of games they should win. Um, but, I don't know, looking at their team and... We know that we can't always judge the how easy a draw is on previous performances. I'd rather look at the team structure and the team um, players, especially at forward and defence stocks, which Collingwood's, I'm really unsure of where they are there. Um, they've got a good midfield, but to lock them into 11-plus wins, I, I'm, I can't do it. I'd, I'd have them unders here. Yeah, I was very surprised to see them this high. Uh, not very high on Collingwood's hopes this season, and I think they're going to struggle. and. Yeah, I have them going well under this 10.5 win mark. Move on to the next team, which is Hawthorne, who we also have at the 10.5 mark. A really hard one for me. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I have them on about 11 wins, I think, when I went through this the fixture. So I technically, I guess I've got them over, but I wouldn't not be surprised to see them fall the other way. Yeah, I actually had them on 11 as well, but um, this is a complete stay away bet for mine. Anyone who's looking at these overs unders um uh, it's really hard on one hand they didn't have you know Cyril or Birchall or any of these players in their team for a lot of last year so you'd expect that to sort of boost them up but at the same time uh I don't know if I'll place them above or below a lot of these teams around the same mark and yeah yeah as you mentioned very hard to tell how Hawthorne are going to go this season a few wild cards there Jaeger Amira um Surioli, as you mentioned and just too much uncertainty for me. I've, I'm putting them as an over, but very uncertain. Next team we have is West Coast, which is also sitting at the 10.5 mark. Yeah, this is one that surprised me. Um, some people seem to be a bit high on West Coast. I'm not so much. Um, I've got them heavy unders here. I don't think they're going to get anywhere close to 11 wins. Yeah, this is one of my locks for an under as well. I mentioned it in a few earlier podcasts. I've just had that big efflux of sort of the... Uh, older talent you know they lost the Prittis, Mitchell, Petries, Butlers, Hills like when you have that sort of a older um, lineup go out of your team you often see a huge drop like we saw with North Melbourne um, yeah they even started this over unders a few weeks ago at 11.5 it's already come down to 10.5 so I think everyone's realizing that they're on the down and that last JLT game sort of locked it in for me Western Bulldogs at 11.5 wins over Underloom. I've got them over. I really like the Dogs this year. I think that they'll bounce back. They've sort of got over that Jake Stringer sort of 
cancer that was hanging around their club a bit and I like their draw a lot. That's the main reason I've got them over. Their top eight team that they've got twice is West Coast, which we both think are on the down. And their bottom um, list teams that they got twice are Carlton and North, who I think will be at the bottom. So I really like their draw and their chances of uh, bouncing back towards finals. I'm the same. I've got them as an over. Um, I think they'll crack over 12 wins. I'm expecting maybe 13-ish wins for them. Um, a few young players who I'm, I'm looking to see push to that next level. Bailey Dale, I think one of them, and Toby McLean, another, gets a, a lot of flack for ducking the head, but can definitely play some good football. So expecting good things out of those two and expecting the dogs to get over 11.5 wins. Toby McLean's one that's definitely found his way into my super coach forward line. I think he'll be that sort of midfield forward, so playing a lot of mid minutes as well as going forward, and he'll be really impressive this year. He's in mine too. Uh, next, we've got uh, Essendon <coughs> with 12.5 wins. Yeah, this surprised me, but when I actually went through the fixture, I've got them going over 12.5 wins. Really? Yep. I, that really surprised me. I've got them under. I've got them around 11, but... Um, I just can't buy into a team that I don't really understand the midfield setup. I don't know if they'll win enough ball out of the middle. I don't necessarily buy into Stringer being a saviour. I think he'll have not too large of an impressive output compared to last year, and um, I can't see them being up on 13-plus wins. So I've got them sitting on 13 wins. Um, you mentioned Stringer, but they did also bring in a few others. Devin Smith, I think, is going to bolster that midfield, and obviously Adam Side coming in off the halfback, allowing Andy McGrath to move into the middle a bit more. Um, like I said, I was a bit surprised, so I initially thought I would have them as an under, but going through, I see enough winnable games to push them to about 13 wins. Next team we've got on the same amount, Melbourne, uh, 12.5 wins. Um, where do you have them here? I have Melbourne going over. Um, I think they might do it, and I think they might do it easily. I'm not too sure on that, but I could see the Demons even pushing for a top four spot, maybe collecting around 14 to 15 wins. Yeah, I had them on 13 wins when I did it, so an over for me. But looking at their JLT form and sort of some players coming into this team, we've already mentioned Hogan, who obviously had the injuries and the death in the family, cancer at one point last year. He actually had a shocking year. But he's he's come back and he's looking good. We've got Petrucca really looking impressive, like he might take the next step. Lever into this team. Um, There's no reason why they can't go up the ladder Um, Although I would find it funny if they found themselves ninth again and it's the new Richmond. I'm still hoping for that a little bit. Next up, Port Adelaide, 13.5 wins. Pretty tough one for me, Lee. How'd you have it? Yeah, I had them over, actually. Seeing 13.5 when I saw this list, I was like, ooh, that's surely an under. But I looked through it, looked at their team. Jack Watts, great addition. Rocky, great addition. Um, They really just need to win those games against the top eight sides. They beat everyone below them last year, which is what you want from um, your team. You want them to beat everyone they should beat. And these extra players, I think, will get a few more wins against that top eight side. And, yeah, I could see them going to a 14, but I really wouldn't push it too much higher. I'm actually going to disagree here. I've got them listed as an under. Um, Not by much. I have them on 13 wins. You could definitely easily see them knocking off one or two more teams and pushing up there, but few inconsistency issues for mine and I just really couldn't find the wins for them to get them above 13.5. Yeah it's always hard to get those teams where you know they have a flaw like I don't think Port Adelaide beat before finals a top eight side so to have those sort of numbers to push them on up 14 15 wins that's towards top four that's a pretty big jump so yeah again I think this is a hard one. Next up reigning premiers Richmond also on 13.5 wins for me that's a pretty easy over. Yeah, you've got to go the reigning premiers over that. Um, normally you see those top of the ladder sides, 15 plus, when they get to the top end of the top four. Um, 
I don't see why Richmond can't go 14. No hangover for me. Yeah, I've actually ran through the fixture and gave them 16 wins myself, so pretty high on the Tigers this season. Next we've got the Cats, or we can just call them the Danger Woodlets now. I think they're only going to win when they've got the those three players uh, performing. We saw in the JLT in that game against Gold Coast where they didn't have um, didn't have Danger and uh, Selwood and Ablett, they've got the pants. So assuming those three are playing, uh, where do you have them? Yeah, so um, assuming they play, I think they'll do it, and I think they'll probably do it pretty easily. Um, I mean, it's not easy to get 14.5 or, or above wins, but I have them getting around about that 16 mark and I think yeah if those three can stay on the park um, obviously they've got a a good side outside of those three as well and I think they'll manage to get at least 14.5 wins I've got them under on 14 not by much um, because they win so many games at skilled they win so many games because Dangerfield's the best in the competition but I love their top the cream of their team I can't rate the rest of their team that highly I know Dalsano came out during the week and called their uh, team out for having no depth and I really look a lot look at a lot of that middle class of players and like the way that sort of Blitzarves and um, also Gu- uh, the way that Blitzarves and Guthrie and those those players that should have been taking the next step for them really didn't last year it might come down to whether they can push up this year or not same number of uh, wins for the line there next up GWS 14.5 as well um, I actually have them as under Really, I've got this is a lock for over. I reckon GWS will be good this year. I've got them on sixteen wins, surprisingly. Um, which is, it'll be interesting to watch this one now that we've got different opinions. Um, yeah, so I, I I do rate GWS and I expect them to have a very good season. But when I went through, um, I I did it a couple of times, and on one run I had them going as low as twelve, um, as high as fifteen, I think I had. But yeah, I, I, more times than not, I had them coming out with less than the line. So they're an under for mine. It's interesting. They managed to go top four last year with so many injuries, and I sort of look at that and look at the team they could put together this year if they have a bit of a better run, you know, Coniglio coming into that lineup, etc. I'm hoping that they go really high because they're an impressive team to watch when they're up and about. Um, So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see who's right on that one. Yeah, I surprised myself with that. Uh, I'm actually very high on GWS as well. I think this is sort of their time. They're coming into that age bracket where they should be really pushing for that grand final berth but as I said went through the fixture and maybe just a tendency to have them drop games away from home but yeah I have them under the 14.5 win mark. We're moving on to the two 15.5 teams which uh, the first of is Sydney who stormed home last year to be one of the best in the comp. Yeah as you mentioned Sydney stormed home last year after a sluggish start going 0-6 in the first six rounds and I think they're going to not have that same mistake this season. I've got them going over the 15.5 wins. It's a high barrier, but I had them with 16 wins. Yeah, I actually locked them in with 16 as well, so we're a bit in agreement there. Um, Their second half of the year is all we really have to say. Um, They were impressive, and I think they've got players like Parker and JPK who are going to go back to the top of the competition this year with their performances, and um, Buddy looks like he isn't aging. He's, He's looking really good, so I don't see any reason why they won't be up the top of the ladder this year. Lastly, also on 15.5 wins line, we've got Adelaide Crows. Over for me. I've got them at about 17 wins, top of the ladder. Interesting. I've got them under. I had them on about 14 wins. I see them dropping a few games here and there. and Obviously, they've added Bryce Gibbs, but balanced out a bit for me with that loss of Jake Lever and Charlie Cameron. Yeah, I just look at that midfield now of Sauce Jacobs, Sloan, Gibbs, Matt Crouch, Brad Crouch. 
uh, that's amazing midfield and it's something that they were really maligned for over the last couple of years with no one there to help out Rory Sloan and I see players like Matt Crouch who could be as good as anyone else in collecting the pill and on top of the league for possessions and that sort of thing. Um, Gibbs, everyone thought, oh, he might come over and not be as good, but his JLT form was great, and, um, yeah, I really rate the Crows' chances this year. So we'll come back to these at the end of the season and see how we've done. Uh, pretty interesting to see whether we're good at predicting or not. Um, we've had a few differences of opinion here. The teams that we've selected differently are Brisbane, Carlton, Essendon, Port Adelaide, Geelong, GWS, and the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, a few interesting differences there. We had a few that we sort of locked in the same. I know uh, West Coast and North Melbourne and a few of these teams we're pretty sure might do a little worse than people expect. So keep a keep a lookout for those teams and um, check out how we went. Okay, now that we've made some stock standard predictions of where some teams will finish, I think it's a little more fun if we make some more outlandish calls and give some crazy tips, which probably a few people might be taken by surprise. We'll go through and I think we've got maybe four each that we can run through and um, sort of let you guys know. And we'll play, once again, play these back at the end of the year and um, sort of splash these uh, sound grabs all over Twitter and make sure everyone knows that we know what's up. But um, here we go. We'll go through four of them. Um, I'll kick us off with my first one. Bill, would it surprise you if I say that Carlton will not kick 100 points in a game all year? Um, Carlton, you know, a pretty defensive team, but I definitely expect them at some stage to kick over 100 points, so yeah, I'd be pretty surprised. Would you be surprised if I told you that last year they did not kick over 100 points in a game? I would be surprised. That's true. I looked it up this week. I just couldn't believe it. They didn't crack over the 100. I watched that JLT for one game against St Kilda, one or two, whichever one it was, and there was times where they were putting 18 players in the defensive 50 for a JLT game, and I was like, geez, they might not score much this year. And I looked it up, and yeah, didn't crack the ton last year. Really defensive team, and um, as I said earlier in the predictions, with no Gibbs and no Doherty, I could see them doing it again. Definitely could happen. I'm going to kick us off with something a little more outlandish. Um, Calling this one the Buckley curse. Um, As most of you probably know, that Nathan Buckley started off his career up in the Brisbane Bears, and left shortly afterwards stating that he wanted to play in premierships. Um, Obviously moved down to Collingwood, didn't find premiership success there as the Brisbane Lions went on to win three flags in a row. Um, It's my contention that Buckley is cursed, uh, as we can see throughout his playing career and continue into his coaching days. Um, He's been pretty unsuccessful so far as a coach, and I think the Buckley curse is going to end this year in round seven with a loss. Uh, I'm expecting the Pies to go into this game struggling at... Maybe one win, six losses, sorry, one win, five losses, or maybe maybe even six losses going to this game straight off uh, the bat. Uh, a loss to Brisbane in round seven, who everyone would probably expect them to beat, is going to signal the end of Buckley's uh, coaching career. He'll either get sacked at the end of round seven or, or last another week or two. Um, tough games coming up after that. I believe they've got Geelong the next week. So around about that time, Buckley's going to get sacked outrageous and i like it i like Mm -hmm. this one a lot especially i'm gonna be watching round one so closely i think they've got hawthorne and if they lose that i think every week i'll be like "Ooh, it could happen it could happen because he's got to be just on the edge of his seat every week and every loss yeah so as you mentioned that round one game against hawthorne's can be very crucial there you know this is not necessarily something i expect to happen perhaps it's something more that i want to happen (laughs) but uh I i think it's very possible in the first uh First six rounds, they're only really looking at the fixture. Their winnable games are Hawthorne and Carlton. Um, I could see them dropping at least one of those. And then, obviously, coming up against the Brisbane Powerhouse in round seven. The spell's doomed for Buckley. 
because as we all know, he is cursed. <laughs> I like it a lot. All right, I'll move on to my second one, which might up the ante a bit on my first one. And I'm going to say that Gold Coast is not going to miss Gary Ablett. They're going to play a more exciting brand of football, and it will mostly be on the back of Aaron Hall, who I say will average 30 touches a game this year. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you're about to tell me that he averaged 30 touches last year <laughs> or something. But uh, no, yeah, I... I I could see. I mean, you know, he he racks up the touches, but I I do think they're going to miss Gary Ablett a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see how how Stewie Jew coaches them up this year and uh, see what sort of systems they're running. But if Aaron Hall does average thirty touches, um, I'll be a little surprised and I'll be very impressed. He's twenty seven years old this season, so he's entering his prime. Um, last year, averaged twenty five point six touches, so not really near the thirty mark. But in the games where Ablett didn't play, he averaged twenty eight point seven. So. I think if he can run a consistent year being the man, um, he's going to get 40 touch games here and there to help that average get up, and I reckon he will be a surprise packet in terms of uh, people getting most touches in the league this year and probably even end up up there in the Brownlow votes just because touches equal votes. Uh, my second one is, again, probably on the lines of something that I would like to happen, more so than something I'd expect to happen, but in order to get outlandish calls, here we go. Um, I'm saying that Brisbane are going to beat the Saints in round one, and not only are they going to beat them, but they're going to do it easy. They're going to, <laughs> they're going to come out of the blocks, they're going to kick you know, five, six goals to start with, put it on the board, and just drift away to an easy win. And they're not going to, they're not going to look like they're trying. I know you sent me a few messages after we lost to the Blues in the JLT match, being like, it's on, it's happening. I really hope you're wrong with this one. I hope that, especially at Etihad Stadium, the first game up, I'm hoping you know, Big Patty comes out and kicks a few rolls and... Uh, Gets the win for us, but um, you even said it easy. You couldn't have even just said you won. You want it? Well, I mean, us winning is not really that outlandish. So <laughs> the outlandish part is that we're going to do it, and we're going to do it easily. Okay, I think you're going to be wrong on that one because I think Big Paddy McCartan will come out and kick some of the goals to lead to my third point. The McCartan will kick forty goals this year. Yeah, I don't see it. Um, obviously, McCartan looks in good form in the preseason, but uh, as we all know, had a few concussion injuries over the way and few issues here and there. I think hamstrings um, looked a little pudgy in a few photos. and Photoshop uh, photos. <laughs> no, photos as well. But anyway, um, no, I'm, I don't I don't really see it. I don't think Paddy McCartan's going to kick 40 goals this year, so I would, I would be surprised. He's got the big satellite dish hands. He was kicking rolls in the dark in uh, the JLT game against Carlton. Um, he's averaging at the moment about a goal a game in the AFL, but that's in games here and there. We know he kicks two or three a game in the VFL, so I reckon if he can manage to stay on the park, um, sky's the limit for the amount of goals he can kick this year, and I'm, I'm locking him in for a, for a 40 and um, St Kilda's most goals in the team. So I'm not sure that he's going to get 40 goals uh, myself. Um, I have a few question marks over him. Um, size, a bit undersized for a key forward these days, and to be honest, athleticism as well. Um, but one player who definitely has the size and athleticism to kick 40 goals is Charlie Kernow, and as a result, I'm going to... Just top you here and lock him in for 45 goals this season. Yowza. Everyone's expecting him to get the big jump this year. Um, a lot of people in Supercoach lock him in, but 45 goals, that's that's huge. Yeah, well, you know, Kernow is huge. So. <laughs> he is huge. Huge hands, huge leap, great athleticism. He's slotting him from 60, turning on a dime and just pinging away. And uh, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised to see him kick nearing on him 45 goals, and I'm going to say he's going to get 45 plus. Wow. I see him really pushing out more in the middle this year and they're trying to play him in a few different positions to try him out. So if he does manage his 45 goals, especially doing some out of that forward line, that'll be super impressive. Um, 
I don't know, he might get a few modelling jobs anyway, so who cares how he footballs? Last call up here, and I think potentially on my on my behalf are the most outrageous of all. I'm not sure, maybe the Bucks curse, but my <laughs> last one I'm going to say that uh, Dane Zorko is going to finish top three in the Brownlow, if not win the Brownlow. So I'm going to say that he'll win the Brownlow. Um, oh. My fallback is top three. Um, and just establish himself as a top three AFL player. That is an outlandish call, both the top three, the Brownlow even more so, but um, especially with the sort of huge midfield names we saw this year. But Zorko did perform well. Got that All-Australian nod at that um, half-forward flank, sort of being the goal-kicking forward mid, and he did that really well, and that does attract votes. But, yeah, wow, that's that's a big call for him to win the Brownlow. And I'll say why it's a big call, because my final big big call of the year is that I'm not going to tell you Who's going to win the Brownlow? But I'm going to tell you the top 10 in order. We've got this on timestamp on the podcast, episode 10, start of March, that I will tell you exactly who's going to be top 10 in the Brownlow. 2018 Brownlow winner is going to be Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Football Club. We're going to go Mitchell, Fife, Sloan, Dangerfield, Kelly, Dusty, Bontempelli, Matt Crouch, Clayton, Oliver, and Aaron Hall, as I mentioned before. That's the top 10. Big Tommy Mitchell bringing home the Charlie. Hang on, give me a sec to respond. Who'd you have in the top 10? Uh, Mitchell, Fife, Sloan, Dangerfield, Kelly, Dusty, Bontepelli, Matt Crouch, Oliver Hall. Yeah, I mean, if you can predict the top 10 um, in the brown, I'll be very impressed. Um, <laughs> outlandish. Yeah, a very outlandish it. call, um, especially because it, it does not feature Dane Zorko. So, I mean, you're obviously wrong from the get-go. <laughs> um, Aaron Hall over Dane Zorko. I mean, come on. No. Um, yeah, I'll be very impressed, and we'll see how you do in, in terms of getting that top 10. And Tom Mitch for the brown, I mean, that could happen. Um, the rest, you know, not having Dane Zorko, not even in your top 10 is just... Yeah, <laughs> the most outlandish part of that uh, list I want everyone to note is no Dusty, no Danger in the top three in the Brownlow. Put the money on a huge trifecta right now because that would be paying infinite dollars to have neither of them in the top three. I just love the way Fife's come out and played his football this year. He's, he's a vote-getter and he'll be back and Rory Sloan's my favourite player in the competition and with all of the midfield help he's going to get this year, I see him being better against those tags and um, he'll get votes. He always gets votes and... Uh, Tommy Mitch, going to bring it home. All right, that's as many outrageous calls as we can make this week. Um, we'll come back, obviously, later in the year and, and laugh at how inaccurate we were. <laughs> um, maybe some of them will, will come um, good, but we'll see. Um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this week, and we'll see you next week on the Science of Footy podcast. Mm-hmm.